Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 274 with Paul Barry. How are you, Paul? I'm very good. Great to meet you, and thank you for inviting me on. No, my pleasure. Now, before we get into it, I always like to uh, start a little bit different. So what was the biggest win you've had in the last seven days, Paul? In the last seven days, it would have to be I've been creating a retreat for my clients down in Tulum, Mexico. Wow. And this was something that was just an idea because it was what I wanted to do before the pandemic. And then I was like, oh, hang on a minute. What, what was that thing I was going to do a couple of years ago? And so I started talking a couple of months ago with someone who's going to help me organize it. And I was putting together the program. And then we'd found a really awesome venue for it, but it wasn't very big. I wanted a bigger venue, but yeah, I couldn't find a you know better one than that that was bigger. And then just all of a sudden, I was talking to the guy who hosts it, who hosts the venue. And I said, you don't happen to have anything else, do you? And he goes, well, I have this. And he sends it through and this place is even more stunning than the first place <laughs> in the jungle there near Tulum, near the beach. It's beautiful. And there's twice, we can have twice as many people. So I was just like, and it's about the same price. So I was like, oh my God, that's amazing. So that was probably the biggest win in the last week. It's uh, funny you say that. I think uh, we're going to talk about you today, but I think the same thing. I was in Bali about seven years ago on a holiday and I'm like, wouldn't it be great if you just didn't come away and drink and eat too much that do a retreat so i posted it out there a year later ran the first retreat in bali and they just kept building obviously pandemic's not very good for business paul and um it sort of <laughs> affects it. but but i really like that that you wanted to try something new you put it out there and it's funny how when you say something or you put it to your word that you connect with people and things start happening yeah. isn't it oh yeah and and the thing about that was had i not asked the question this is one of my big things is like it's about asking the right questions and asking enough of them at the right person to the at the right time to the right person. But had I not asked him, is there another venue? I would have just stuck with the one we had, which would have been lovely, but we wouldn't have had as many people be able to come and so on. But I had to ask the right question. And so that happens a lot, especially recently, where I find if I'm not completely happy where I am or it's not, not 100% fulfilled with something, all I do is I just say to myself, well, I mustn't be asking the right person the right questions. And so then that sets me off on a sort of curious path of trying to find the right question. And if that's not working, well, that's obviously the wrong person. And if it's if it's the right person or the right question, but it's not working, it's clearly the wrong time. So I just keep asking yeah. the right question of the right person at the right time and the right medium in the right format in the right way. And all of the answers are there. Everything that you want is there. Everything already exists. You just have to kind of find that path. I just call it a decision tree. You just go down here. That didn't work. Go back, go over here, oh, down here, oh, back up again, down here. Oh, cool. Now I'll go over this way. And then eventually you find your way through the maze. Well, it's and it, there's no clear direction down that tree. And I love the, love the word curiosity. I, I think anyone that's curious, you know, you are going to find different ways. Does When you say that, because... I know we we're talking a little bit before about um, obviously I don't want to ponder on the pandemic, but how it's affected people's sort of confidence to try new things or particularly like back in the day, asking a question of someone wasn't a big thing, but now it is. That scares the crap out of people, Paul. Um, yeah. So when you say that, like finding the right question or finding the right person, 
like, what do you mean by that? Because some people are like, oh, I'm, I'm isolated. I'm in a bubble. I, I don't really talk to anybody. That, that might be really scary for other people when you say it like that. Yeah, but uh, I mean, I guess, I guess we have to all agree or disagree, but for, for what I'm saying to work, we have to agree on the fundamental premise, the basis, the foundation that there is a solution for everything. So if we are down and depressed and lonely and upset and frustrated and angry, we must at first accept that there is a solution somewhere in the universe. If we don't fundamentally accept that, then nothing is going to help us. And I think that's the problem, first of all, because we can have curiosity. Um, but if we don't have curiosity about the fundamental belief that there is a solution to every single problem that we can possibly, I mean, this is I'm by no means an expert on things like suicide, which is incredibly tragic. But from everything that I've read and, and researched and understood and the people that I knew who committed suicide, it, it can only seem to me that there is literally no way out. They they literally cannot see or find a way out of the darkness. And that is the greatest tragedy because I believe that there is always a way. Not to say, it was easy, why didn't you find it? They couldn't find it and they're now at peace. But we have to agree on the, the fundamental, the foundation that there must be a solution to everything. So if I'm at home and I've, you know, in the peak of when the pandemic started here, for the first month, it was like, don't leave home. Like for the first month, do not go out of your house. You can exercise, but you've got to basically go and stay away from people. And I was walking with a friend and we were a mile away from each other. And we walked <laughs> around the corner on the other side of the street. And, you know, we'd have masks and we were waving out in front of our faces, you know, everywhere we went in the, in the wild open, you know, just because we thought, oh my God, I don't want to die. And gradually sort of, you know, that gets better and better. But you know, we we made sure that we got out, but that was like a month. And then it got to the end of the month and then it was just another month. And then it was another month. And it was like, holy hell. So I asked myself, well, what do I want to do? What am I missing? Like, what can I do? And then you get curious about, can I connect with people here? Can I go out and wave to people across the street? Can I, you know, what can we do? And then, of course, there'd be people that say, well, you can do whatever the hell you want to do. Don't worry. The government can't control you and blah, blah, blah. OK, but there were people who said government can't control me. They got COVID and they died. So there is a balance there somewhere about what can I do? Do what should I do? What's reasonable? What's expected of me to to prevent other people from getting sick? But there's always a solution at the end of the decision tree that you make that results in you having the most balanced happiest, healthiest life that also doesn't negatively or adversely affect everybody around you. And it's you just can't. I think the problem is just if you ever give up, like if you ever just stop asking, if you ever stop looking, if you stop searching, as you said before about curiosity, if you stop being curious, that's where people become destructive. That's where they really get hurt. That's where they start to hurt other people. That's where imagination dies. And, you know, and I just think just, Keep open, keep curious, keep moving, keep changing, keep exploring. And it's challenging in that you have to keep doing it, but it's not challenging. It's just, just do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's, well, <laughs> it sounds, it sounds easy like that, but like at the end of the day, nobody is going to do it for you. And, and I think that's the hardest right. part. You know, we want answers. We want someone to say, this is the direction you need to go, but nobody knows. And that's where yeah. the, the, the joy is in finding and searching and, and, 
not finding the right way because then when you finally do, geez, it's a good feeling. Yeah. Well, I can guarantee you one thing, and this is unless someone is like purely clinically depressed and only medication is going to be triaged to that. Like if someone was just down, feeling lonely, isolated, and they never were before the pandemic, but they were in the pandemic, and you spoke to them and they said, yeah, I've been really down for the last couple of months. I guarantee you they didn't speak to you and they didn't speak to me every day. <laughs> like I guarantee you because you <laughs> and I find a way. We find yeah. a way. We do it on Zoom. Anyone that says, well, it's because I didn't have the, you know, I couldn't physically hug someone because I couldn't physically be right near someone because I, I guarantee you it wasn't just that. I guarantee you it was because they weren't around people like us. Yeah. And yeah. we could we could be that for them on Zoom. And let's say, because what, what, you know, we have to be resilient. What happens if there's a nuclear war? What happens if there's, you know, a volcano goes off near us or there's an earthquake and we literally can't leave our house because it's too dangerous to go outside? Are we all just going to sit at home and get depressed and, and you know, wither away to nothing? No, we have to be. I said this to someone the other day. I'm not a parent, but I said to someone, if I were a parent, I would think there's only two things that I would want to instill in my kids. One of them is resourcefulness and one of them is resilience. Just those two things. However you do that, resourcefulness and resilience, not even spelling and mathematics and so on, unless those things make you resourceful and make you resilient. Luckily they do, but make you resourceful and make you resilient. That's it. Everything else is icing on the cake. Um, and, you know, I, I do wonder sometimes if for everybody who has had a really, really tough time, and, and you know there's been millions and millions of people around the world who had an incredibly tough time, I hope now they've been able to look into finding ways to be resourceful and resilient because clearly that was not instilled in everybody leading up to that point. But you and I, the very fact that we're even here today being some kind of thought leader on our topics means that we have been resourceful at least over the years to get ourselves to here and say, well, maybe on the next conversation I have, someone might blow my mind about how to uh, do something better in my life because we are seekers we are searchers, we are forging forward rightly or wrongly. And as a result, we're not kind of stuck feeling I can't do anything because no one's allowing me to, which is usually the thing that keeps you down. Um, yeah. I don't know if that, that monologue no, meant no, anything. No, it, <laughs> no, it does, Paul, it doesn't. And as you were saying that, it, it made me realise of, uh, like, I, I, I need to be around people. I need people's energy. I feed off it. Um, and yeah. that was taken away from me. And then I'm like, well... I went through a stage of mourning because I was mourning something yeah. that I physically love. Like I love that. Yeah. But then I realized yeah. that I still get that opportunity and that's why podcasting for me and people have probably found something out there that works for them. But that was my one thing when everything was really bad that I knew I could reach out to somebody, meet somebody, yeah. have a meaningful conversation with yeah. them. And when I got off, it was so selfish because that transformed me. That gave me that yeah. little bit that I was missing elsewhere. Um, yeah. But it, it wasn't what I needed. But now looking back, like you said, hopefully people have learned from what we've gone through and they've taken something away to be more resourceful than in the end it's been obviously made me more resilient. Like I'm, so, I'm, so, I'm so sad for anyone who is still suffering having gone through the pandemic but I'm so glad for society for having gone through it. Like within the first month of being locked down, certainly by the second month, comedy shows were just 
in car parks with everybody six feet apart in little deck chairs with a blanket on their lap hearing stand-up comedy in a car park. Like, that was never going to happen, never going to happen. <laughs> now, here, you would think California would be a place where, especially L.A., where everybody dines outside. But it wasn't the case most of the time, but now it is the case. So everything was forced outside. Everything was forced. Car parks, streets suddenly became living, breathing places where human beings hung out because they're like, oh, we have to have fresh air in case of the pandemic. I say, why didn't we have fresh air in the first place? Like, why were we not out there? But it's exactly the same in Australia when, when you used to be able to smoke in pubs and then you couldn't smoke in pubs, but smokers were like, well, we still want to drink. Well, we have to create outdoor areas in the middle of winter that are livable. So we put these amazing space heaters in so smokers could smoke. Then the eaters who didn't smoke wanted to go out and eat, but they didn't want to be around the smokers. So then they kicked the smokers out of the smoking area. And so now the eaters can eat out there with the heaters. That was never going to happen without smoking in the first place, let alone smoking being banned, let alone, you know, COVID happening. So every single massive problem that we go through creates an incredible solution. And I think at first, we just don't learn. Second, we learn only from those things that are problematic. And as my dad always used to say, um, you know, dumb people learn from their mistakes. Smart people learn from others' mistakes. And so I think, well, that's a wonderful opportunity for us to say, great, let's turn indoor spaces outdoors because it serves our purpose. But my brain goes to what else can we turn inside out that we aren't thinking about right now that isn't a problem that will be better if we turn it inside out? And that's where curiosity and asking the questions comes up. Now I've got those questions, but if I don't ask the right person those questions, I don't know what to do with that information. What do I turn out next? Hairdressers? In the middle of the pandemic, everyone that was cutting hair was sitting out on the sidewalk cutting hair. I think they've all gone back inside. I'm like, why have you gone back inside? Like, that's incredible. Like, imagine in California driving down the street and just watching everyone have haircuts. I mean, I think <laughs> it's wonderful. They put you inside, they color your hair, and then they put a heat thing over it to make the color dye set. Why don't they just have you sitting in the sun? I mean, it just makes sense, doesn't it, right? So I think there's so many things. Yeah, I think there's so many things that we're not even thinking about right now that if there was a massive problem with hairdressers were not allowed inside ever again, well, they would find a solution and it would be probably a better solution than they have today. Uh, but, yeah, we've got to be curious. We've got to ask the right questions of the right people at the right time, and the right time for the pandemic happened to be because it was a pandemic. Um, so yeah, I think curiosity and you and I are exactly the same in that curiosity is not just, it was Einstein said curiosity is more important than knowledge. Um, and, uh, or imagination is more important than knowledge, but curiosity is the thing that gets you there in the first place. Um, so yeah, I, I find that living here has been a, um, an eye-opening experience in so many ways like that, because you'd think, Wow, it's a big, rich, open place, but it's amazing how just stuck in its way a city like LA can actually be until, as I said to someone the other day, I said that same thing about now we're all outside. Isn't this wonderful? This wouldn't have happened without the pandemic. Um, and they said, yeah, but the, the, the council or the city probably wouldn't have allowed it. And I'm like, oh, my God. That's exactly what I'm saying. But yeah. they went back to the council or the city wouldn't have allowed it. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about. But now they're like, it's okay. So why was it not okay before? And it is totally okay now. That's the point. It's better for everybody. 
And I, I think with that, I love what you're saying there because it just makes true. Like, why do we wait for an issue to figure something out? Like, why don't we be yep. proactive? Do you know what I mean? And it's yep. like so often when we're talking about education or mental health or something like that, it's all band-aids for issues that have occurred. Why aren't we getting on the front foot now and saying, hey, we've had this horrible pandemic. People are really struggling. What can we do differently that isn't the same model, the same situation that we've been doing over and over and again? But it's like we're reverting back because that's the default setting. Um, And and like you said, there's decision makers that, you know, you simply forget what's happened and you just go back to what works and what continues to work, but it's not working because so many systems are broken. It's an opportunity to do something else. Well, it makes me go crazy, mate. I don't know yeah. if you feel the same way. I do. I do, but if, oh, I'm fro- I'm all frozen here. I don't know why. Sorry. That's all right. I can still see you. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> but company, companies like Facebook and Google and Amazon, you know, there's bigger companies probably shouldn't include Amazon so much in that one, but some of those other uh, the companies that are that are not um, based on physical things, they are more kind of software or technology or information. They have much more ability to be very flexible, you know, work from home, work from anywhere. Even when you come into the space, work however you want, like sit there, don't sit there, hot desk, have no desk, sit in a, a bean bag, like, for every single company that says, oh, well, that will ruin productivity, that company is clearly not assessing the productivity that's being ruined by people keeping people in cages at the moment in cubicles. Because, you know, at the best, from the best estimation of studies that are done, people are three to five hours worth of productivity in any eight hour day at work in a cubicle. And, you know, it takes 25 minutes to get yourself back focused on a task once you've been distracted just once and imagine people having staff who go out and have a cigarette or get up and go and grab a coffee or like you're thinking so that's 25 minutes every time they do that and they're not doing that in their break they're doing that as a break in the middle of their productive work I can't work in an office filled full of people. If you put me in an office full of people, you wouldn't get 10 minutes worth of productive work for me. And yet, because because I'm an entrepreneur and I work on my own, I might wake up at eight o'clock in the morning and maybe I check my first emails as soon as I wake up. And then maybe I will have breakfast and watch something on YouTube. And maybe I won't start work until 10 a.m. And maybe I'll work for two hours and then I'll watch an entire movie and then I'll go meet someone for lunch and I'll come back and maybe I'll be tired and have a sleep in the afternoon like Leonardo da Vinci and get up again and do something else. But by the end of the day, I've probably done about 12 hours worth of actual solid productive work for myself. Didn't feel like I was doing any work at all. It wasn't to build someone else's dream. It was to build my own. And I can do that seven days a week and not feel like, oh, my God, I'm just worn out. Or I can not work for seven days a week. And it's also totally fine because I'm that productive. And also because what I'm doing is is for me. It's not to build somebody else's, you know, castle. It's to build my own. Um, but I just think that there's, you know, we, we connected um, over talking about sort of risk and doing things differently and so on. And my TEDx talk is about counterintuition. So when I was teaching acting for over 20 years and I was an actor for a professional actor for 16 years, I found that my entire thing was about finding patterns and then just smashing them and then finding where there were no patterns and then creating them and then looking at that pattern and then just smashing it again 
and then seeing, you know, like a constant in and out and, you know, eat and expel and, you know, build and break down and, you know, we the muscles build and break the fibers and they re-knit. And in every single way, it's about building and breaking and building and breaking and building and breaking. Same thing with like emotions. We say, I've been really like upset recently. Well, let it go. I'm not saying it's a, it's it's that easy, but it is connected with your breath. If you aren't regularly breathing out all of that stuff and releasing it with your mind through meditation or counseling or however you're doing it, it's effectively like taking toxic food into your body. And even though you are expelling some of that food, you're not expelling the toxins. So we put tox, uh, toxic thoughts into our, into our brain. We watch toxic things. We absorb toxic politics and we have, you know, the bitchy conversations with people about gossiping about one another. This is all toxic stuff. Take it in, whatever, but get it out. But if it's just toxic and it goes in and it doesn't come out, of course we're going to have problems and we will blame everything from the government to rules to lockdowns to what have you. But that's just stuff coming in. We got to get, we got to let it out. Yeah. And, um, and that's why I say anybody who has gone through a really, really tough time um, didn't clearly, by definition, didn't have the outlet. And so for you, you know, being around other people, is important, but I'd say go out to the all those people. I think it was in Italy when it, when the pandemic pandemic first started, and they were all playing violins and music on their balconies yeah, yeah. to one another, yeah. and banging pots and pans to say you know to clap basically, like they were letting it out. And we have to be resilient enough that what happens if we like half the world says we were right to lock ourselves down. The other half of the world goes, yeah, it was stupid. It's just like the cold. It doesn't, you know, no one was going to die anyway, which they did. Um, but we've got to be resilient enough that what if there is another one, which is like the bubonic plague, where you literally cannot be around other people? What are we going to do then? Are we just going to say, screw it, I'm going to die? Are we going to stay indoors and say, oh, my God, I'm going to die because I can't physically be around other people? We have to build a resilience that says, no matter what happens, I'm going to turn this into fun. I'm going to learn from this and I'm going to see how this horrible thing is going to ultimately make us better as a, as the human race and better in society and lead to inventions and innovation. And so there was a, a place out at Manhattan beach here. There were two restaurants, two cafe restaurants opposite each other on the same road. Pandemic hit one of them shut down within two weeks. Why pandemic? Other one exploded, ended up making, you know, 20 times the business that it was making before, took over the other restaurant, went over there, exploded as well. Why? Pandemic. Yeah. So you tell me, like, oh, it's... what is the pandemic except a catalyst? And it's a catalyst for what's going on. If your business is not already working, it's really not going to work in the pandemic. If your business is already working, it's really going to work in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, and if we are generally happy satisfied resilient resourceful people then the pandemic is going to give us an opportunity to say how can i do more of that how can i share more of that how can i be more of that but if it's not it's going to be a magnifying glass on the stuff that really needs attention so i say now let's work on what is going to be our um problem with the next thing if we were locked down i used to do this with actors all the time i'd, I'd call it the worst case scenario exercise because you'd prepare all of your audition uh, and you'd get ready to go in. And it'd be really great. 
but then you'd go in and you wouldn't have a reader or the director wasn't there or it was just something that you didn't even you couldn't even possibly have imagined and it just throws you like nothing else and you were fully prepared but you went in and then they went oh you'll be great for this other role and they give you another role thinking you're awesome and then you read it thinking oh my god i'm not prepared so now you're completely thrown when in fact they wanted you to succeed and now you're failing so i'd do the worst case scenario exercise where i'd say so your audition's ready to go great now what happens if you walk in and there's rain the night before and the entire ceiling collapses <laughs> what happens if you walk in and the reader is your ex-girlfriend who literally dumped you and broke your heart last night and we'd go through the most ridiculous scenarios and some of the common scenarios and i would get to the end of them and people would say yeah but none of that would ever happen and i will tell them because it's in my book every single one of those scenarios that i mentioned has actually either happened to me or happened to one of the actors that i taught over the last 20 something years every single one of the crazy crazy things i was there as a reader where my ex-girlfriend came in and she didn't know i was a reader the <laughs> night before we broke up we were crying all night she walks in she's doing a big audition for an american role and i'm her reader she oh, didn't know i was be there i didn't know that she go? Was what, what happened oh she's done very well she's a multi-millionaire she's, multi uh, she's, she's a very successful actor so she but see she was resourceful she was resilient she worked it out but you can have a much smaller thing than that happen and it can bump your car and the wheel all the wheels fall off your car and it's nothing big but to you it's just unexpected and it completely throws you so i love the worst case scenario exercise because it's just it's an icebreaker it's funny it's silly it's stupid but I've had a number of times actors actually go in and do an audition and call me afterwards and go, I'm so glad we did that exercise because <laughs> you know what happened? It wasn't one of those things you mentioned, but it kind of meant that when it happened, I just laughed because I was like, well, at least it's not the, the roof collapsing because there's so much water in the ceiling, which actually happened once. And well, so I yeah. think if we do that as a society and say, look, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah. Let's do it as a company. Let's do it as a family. Let's do it as a, and say, what happens if we're driving down the highway on our holiday? What happens if, a helicopter crashes right in front of us and we can't go anywhere. What happens if, and just make it a thing as a, as a family, as a company, as a society, as a town, as a, whatever the community is, a church, what happens if the worst case happens? If it happens, great, we're prepared. If it doesn't happen, oh, well, whatever. But if, yeah. if something happens and we weren't prepared for it, that's, that's where everything goes terribly wrong, I think. And I, I think with that as well, Paul, while you're talking about that, having that worst case scenario, it actually allows for a more meaningful conversation to take place as well, because you've yeah. got a different narrative. And I think love that's one of the biggest things. And I, mate, I loved your Ted talk. I resonated with so much around, you know, finding your purpose and getting in that stretch zone and coming out of your comfort zone and different things like that. Essentially yeah. by having that worst case scenario, you are making people be creative, use their imagination yeah. because yeah. it's something they haven't done before. It's not the generic response or answer. True. That is very true, yeah. And I guess I don't think of it that way because that it's just so innately the reason why, like that creativity is that I don't think of adding that as a bonus. <laughs> like that, that is it. That you know, out of the of you know, I did my first acting class when I was twelve years old. I went to drama school. Went to three years of uh, university doing theatre studies where we did set design and makeup and acting and writing and producing and everything like just did everything that i've always thought it 
I mean, it's just deep down, everything is about exploration. It's about creativity. It's about dipping your toes in as many different things as you can, because not because you're going to have a career in all of those things, but the career you have will be dealing with people who have all of those types of jobs. Mm. And I don't want to be guessing, what do you do for a living? Like I've touched on that. I've done that. I've actually done a bit of that. And even when I moved into marketing and coaching um, into this kind of world, I've done so many things from lead generation to site building to, uh, you know, just everything, like literally everything that you can possibly experience. I've experienced it. So now when I work with people, first of all, I can see, are they pulling the wool over my eyes? Because I know how long something will take an expert to do it because this is how long it took me and I wasn't an expert. And you're saying you need 10 times as long? No, 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 that's not going to work. <laughs> I know how much it should cost because I, I did it myself and I know what I charged and I know what I should have charged. Um, but also when it comes to someone does have a problem with it, I don't get upset with them and say, why isn't it done? Because I've gone through those problems myself, I know. Uh, and I used to say all the time, if I had, if I wasn't, when I was an acting coach, I used to say, if I wasn't an actor, I would have no understanding about why actors do what they do. They're such curious creatures. Um, I'd probably just be pissed off at them all the time if I hadn't been an actor myself because their, their behaviour makes absolutely no sense most of the time. And so in my TEDx talk, when I say actors are the opposite of people, like that's quite <laughs> clear, you know, that we know that. Um, you know, so we don't do that. People do that. Actors don't do that. <laughs> We're not people. We're the opposite of people. Um, but I think when you go into other, when you go into certain families and when you go into certain businesses and when you go into certain towns and you go into certain cities, all of these different pods of people, whatever the organization or the church is or the constabulary or politics, whatever it is, they're just pods of people. And every time you go into them, they all have similarities and they all have differences. But if we don't look at what's going on there and see every one of them has something that's keeping it alive and something that's killing it. Um, and if we don't sort of go in there and if we go in there and try and fix the thing that's killing it and destroy the thing that's keeping it alive, that's not great. And that happens sometimes when a consultant comes into a company and says, everybody needs to do something different or the head of HR changes. And they say, right, I'm going to do this now. And everyone's going to love it. Everyone's like, oh no, here we go again. <laughs> it's going to go, we're going to go on a retreat and it's all going to be fine. Let's do this, you know, group exercise. And was like, oh my God, you know, there's something in that pod that keeps it alive and there's something in it that's killing it. And our skill is to be able to go in there and do basically temperature and air quality checks in this little pod and try and suck out the stuff that is killing it and leave everything. We don't need to put more life into it. It's already got life. It's already there. So just leave the, the life sustaining oxygen that's in that pod and just suck out the toxins. That's what I feel like I, when I was most successful working with actors, when I'm most successful working with my coaching or consulting clients, when I'm most successful working with corporations or doing anything, it's leaving what is good alone leave it the hell alone and only sucking out the stuff that is destroying the thing or threatening to ruin that delicate ecosystem and that is what a professional does like that's that's the tricky part uh, anyone can have an idea and say hey everybody should just apply this to everything that they do but eh, that can be dangerous because that can can sometimes mess with the good stuff that's already going on i think what you're just saying there paul is that experience and knowledge is so valuable because 
then you can empathize with people. And that's how you go into a situation or a pod and you can relate to them. You understand their struggles. You understand what they're doing because you've walked in their shoes before. Um, somebody that comes straight in or tries to tell you you're doing something wrong when they've got no relative experience, they've never done it before. It's like telling yeah. somebody to do something. They're, they're not going to do it unless they figure it out themselves. And essentially that's what you're talking about with that experience, doing so many different things and understanding people. That is invaluable. Yeah. But I think an engineer doesn't need to have ever flown a plane. An engineer must deeply understand engineering. Yeah, um, I hope so. <laughs> They're yeah. building the planes. <laughs> and so, yeah, but I mean, but just a general engineer, just a, even yeah. just a mechanical engineer um, has a brain for solutions across the board, which if they apply them, they could also apply them to human relationships. I've always said, because, you know, there's that, there's that thing of, oh, well, that person didn't win an Academy Award. How can they teach actors? Or that person's not working on film and television all the time. What right do they have to, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach. Oh, that person never won a, a gold medal at the Olympics. How can they possibly? I, I fully believe that you could be in a wheelchair and you could train an Olympic athlete as long as you understand the mechanics and the ergonomics and the mindset, because you just watch and you, you sit like there's an armchair critic who's, you know, morbidly obese, sitting there drinking beer, eating burgers, watching and shouting at the refs. <laughs> but then there's other people who are just like, I can't do it because I don't have your physique. But if I had your physique, I could do it because I know everything else about it. And I'm watching every single thing that you're doing. And I can see that you're struggling against the wind. If you did this, you wouldn't be. I can see the food you're putting into your body at the intervals that you're putting it into your body with the training and the intermittent training and the blah, blah, blah that you're doing. And I know because I can see from what I've read, read from what I see from physics, from science, from biology. I know because I've got the brain of an engineer and the mind and the creativity. I can't do it because I'm in a bloody wheelchair. But that doesn't mean I can't say to you, dude, this is what you're doing wrong. So um, I don't think we all need to be experts in the law to go in and transform a legal firm. We just need to know what is already the life-sustaining oxygen of that place and what are the toxins of that place. And if we understand those things and then we, you know, we know enough about the language of that, it's up to them. I'm never going to be an expert at all of these different topics in the world. But what I will be an expert at is the benefits of using and when I talk about counterintuition, I mean counter instinct. I say counterintuition because not that sort of means something to people, but counter instinct means nothing to people. But as I say in my TEDx talk, there's a big difference between those words we use interchangeably, like impulse, instinct, intuition, inspiration. They're all very, very different. And our instinct is the thing that prevents us from changing specifically because we think we're going to get hurt. Mm. and i was watching who was it was talking about it last night i watch a lot of shark tank so it was probably one of the shark tank great show love about, that show <laughs> uh, talking about it but they were saying part of the reason why oh no no it was another guy is a new zealand guy that i met through my linkedin outreach um it was a, a talk of his from back in uh 2013 and he was saying you know the reason why most sort of um uh middle management never do anything terribly interesting for the company is because it goes completely counter to their career trajectory. So it makes no sense. If, 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 uh, if an entrepreneur 
does one, you know, 50 different experimental things and one of them is the billion dollar idea, a middle manager must succeed every single time. So it's completely counter to their instinct to fail 49 out of 50 times, even to get that massive payoff, because by definition, they only get promoted if they are consistently succeeding every single month or every single quarter. And he said the same thing about a number of other professions and um, and even some ridiculously some venture capitalists who, who have to you know get bullseyes every single time. Well, it's like, if that's the case, then your risk profile is incredibly narrow, high risk, high reward. Now, not every company can take that or weather that, but there has to be some balance in between, or maybe there needs to be a role within each company that says, like with the big um, um, movie studios, when they release things like Fox Searchlight and so on, these were wings, like really cheap wings to create of massive companies to say, we're looking for the Blair Witch projects of the world that are made for $400,000 or $50,000 that we didn't even pay for. Like they've already made the thing. We go out, we grab it, we sell it, and we make $500 million. But you couldn't build a whole company around that, but you can have a wing of that because you take a chunk of the profits of the company and you put it into something like that. And you can do that with 50 projects and the one of them is going to make you a billion dollars it just is if, if you have someone in that company specifically doing that but you have to be prepared that that particular wing of that company is going to be unprofitable 49 out of 50 times but the one time it is it's going to pay for the rest of the company but most companies don't think that way they don't have the time to because they've got their blinkers on doing by definition what they do best and what has made them succeed up to the point where they are today. And so that's where our brains come in and say, have you considered, be curious, take yourself out, what if, okay, so imagine it wasn't your company, imagine it wasn't your money, imagine you weren't going to lose your job as a result of this. Imagine we're playing a game of Monopoly. Now, if this could be created, what would it, you know, how would it benefit the company? And then when people start getting excited about it, then you say, now, very carefully, what if we reintroduced it to your pod and that's where straight away it becomes a threat to the existing oxygen in the pod and that's why you've got to sort of do that and then gradually bring the two again uh, together again, which is once again the skill of working with people that are in bureaucracies all the time. <laughs> so, Drew, I think that's why, I think everything you were just mentioning there is probably one reason why we both Really like Shark Tank, Paul, because it's essentially yeah, what you're saying. Like, let's be let's be honest that some yeah. of the ideas on there are so random, but that's because yeah. no one's thought of it before. It's something completely different. You can't go on that show if you're sitting on the fence, if you are playing a straight bat. Do you know what I mean? You that is yeah. people that are doing something outrageous. Um, and yeah. that's why sometimes they fail, sometimes they mm -hmm. succeed, sometimes they blow up. Um, there but was, I think that's the exciting part. Yeah, and there was someone I saw recently, and it may have been an old video, but he was like, I came on here five years ago or something, and they laughed him off the show. Whatever his invention was, it was ridiculous, it was stupid, it was frivolous, it was never going to succeed. And they laughed him off the show, and he came back with this incredible idea. I can't even remember what it was, but whatever it was, he got bids from all of the sharks. He got you know millions of dollars from them and has ended up making you know $100 million or something out of it. 
But that didn't happen just because. That happened because he got laughed off the show. So once again, that's like, we all eat outside and have a wonderful time because of the pandemic. Like a horrible thing spawned many, many wonderful things, but only if we allow it. And if we keep getting ourselves stuck in complaining about what we don't have, we're not looking at what we do have. We're not looking to what we can have. And that's part of the problem with companies is companies don't want people to look at what's possible because then they'll get upset with what's there. What they don't realize is the only reason people want to see what's possible is because they're already upset with what's there. <laughs> they're not happy with what's there. You've got 40% of people are doing the great resignation. And of the 60% that remain, half of those are probably doing what's called slow quitting, which is that they're literally just doing the barest, barest minimum of work to collect a paycheck and probably on your time, look at kicking about, looking around for another job, thank you, or getting all of those, how would you like to create your own business online webinars that they're just fantasizing about. So what are you really getting as a company or a business by not addressing the elephant in the room, which is that the way people work has been transformed forever. Every company that said to a mum or a dad, no, you can't work four days in the office one day from home because it's just not possible. And then they all were in the pandemic and they said, no, you have to work five days from home because and they're like, hang on a minute, you said it was not possible to work one day from home. Now you're telling me it's impossible to not work five days from home. Now the bluff has been called. Now companies, business owners have to accept everything has changed. And I know people, I know one agency owner here who had a place down in Santa Monica, had an office full of people. And now everybody just works from home because as a as an agency owner who may be making, I don't know, three to $500,000 a year, it's a small business. She's like, why would I maintain an office when everybody worked perfectly well from home during the pandemic? And it was the largest expense that I had. So just get rid of it. Now I can hire better people or I can have more profits or I can take more breaks or I can do something else. But once again, you don't see that as a benefit if you're constantly looking at the negatives. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think that all relates back to and one thing I love most about your TED talk and I find everything you just mentioned about, you know, people not feeling satisfied or, you know, content in what they do is they're not really certain. They haven't found their purpose. And yeah. I don't think anyone that is just happy and just, you know, waiting for the weekend, that, that's fine. But there's so much more out for you, out there for you. And I love how you mentioned about the stretch zone. Do you want to just um, yeah. mention a little bit of that, Paul? Because I feel people, you know, the comfort zone, wherever you are at the moment, you need to try something new because when you find that purpose of something that, like you said before, you get up, you can do whatever you want, but you're still working and it doesn't feel like work. That is yep. a dream. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that you bring up because we used to talk about, once again, you, we, we tend to use words completely interchangeably, but they mean different things. Familiarity is different from comfort. So when we talk about a comfort zone, in my talk, I talk about when I'm standing there on stage, that's a familiarity zone. I wouldn't call it comfortable. Comfortable is me lying on the couch in my undies, stretched out, like <laughs> eating chips, having a beer and watching Shark Tank. Like that's comfortable. <laughs> but familiar is right now. Like this is a familiar, this is my familiarity zone. But, you know, I end up enjoying talking to you, but I'd be, I'd prefer sitting, having a beer out the back of your place, watching your kid play in the yard. Like that would be much more comfortable. This is familiar. So we have to be careful that, you know, 
what we say is comfortable is actually comfortable because sometimes we have, you know, tension all of the time, but we're like, yeah, no, no. And someone says, get out of your comfort zone. How can I possibly get out of what you're calling my comfort zone when I don't feel at all comfortable? You're referring to my familiarity zone saying, get out of that. And I'm like, that's already one step further than I want to go. Then we get into a stretch zone and then we get into the panic zone. So if we don't define the difference between the stretch zone and the panic zone, then, and I had this with actors frequently over the 20 years I was teaching them, because I would think, well, this is just a light stretch and they would be panicking. So if I couldn't define why this is, it's all relative. Why is this person, and you know, obvious reasons, if you're doing a scene that deals with physical abuse or sexual assault, I don't know everybody's past. So I might think we're just running lines at the moment, which is, this is my familiarity zone or my comfort zone. And then we go into the stretch, which is now where we're, you know, trying to be real while we do this scene. But if someone has something where they've personally experienced something like that, they are very, very close to the edge of their panic zone. So I need to say, I need to honor where they are on that, on that scale, on that spectrum. And, and, you know, when we talk about the pandemic and people had um, like when, when the pandemic started and everything was shut down, I mean, I barely noticed the difference because I spent most of my time working 24 hours a day on my own, in my own home, living by myself, dealing with people online. So when it happened, I almost couldn't understand why everyone wasn't over the moon that they got to have my life. So to me, I was like, why why is everybody upset? They get to stay home. Then, of course, you talk to people and you go, well, you know, one of the things about being a parent is that you get to have your kids go off and someone looks after them and someone educates them and someone and they also need to be socialized and they, you know, they need to play and they need to do. I was like, oh, well, I don't have those things. So I, I don't think of that. So I need to find what's relative to you, you know, what's relative to both of us is, is different. But in, so, so in, in that respect, the stretch zone for everybody else, we have to know that when we suggest, why don't you just take the week off? Why don't you just add a couple of clients? Why don't you just drop that client? Why don't you just apply for a new job? If for us, that's familiar. If for us, that's comfortable. If for us, that's a light stretch. We need to be prepared that for someone else, that is hellfire and panic zone and uh and equally when people ask us why don't we do things why aren't we doing things we have to know okay well they have a slightly different idea of what a stretch is than i do because for me every single day i come up with another thing that could be a million dollar business idea you know that's why i love shark tank and i'm like oh that inspires another one and i've got thousands of notes any one of those i could pursue for the rest of my life none of those to me are even a stretch let alone panic but for most people for most people who have been employed their entire lives by other people who think if i stop doing this i have no paycheck and i have no idea where the next paycheck is coming from the concept of even exploring another idea is complete seizure, anxiety, and panic. And I do believe that there is, as I said at the start, there's a solution to everything. It's just about how you introduce that person to the concept of going to, you know, exploring. Like I say, that company, let's imagine we're talking about another company because that diffuses the the need to defend, we have to stay this way. But what about we're talking about another company? 
And what about we go over there and we explore what it would be like if it was just a game on a Monopoly board or the game of life? And then rather than take that wonderful creation and then shove it back into their company, <laughs> they're going to go back into system shock. We have to find a way to ease it back in so it just allows them to, you know, so whether it's a company or a city or an individual or a relationship, there is a solution. There is a way to go to something which used to be panic. And now, like you think about doing yoga right now, if I went to do yoga, I'd be like, oh, God, you're going to break me in half. <laughs> but if I do it gradually and I do it with support and I do it with willingness and curiosity and, and a little bit of stretch every single day, you know, certainly within a year, I would be able to do all sorts of things that I can't do today. It's always possible, but you have to want to. You have to follow through on it. You have to have the resourcefulness and the resilience and the and the dedication to it. And all of that has to come from you having the vision that it's even going to be worth it on the other side. Yeah. And most people don't have that. So that's where that's where I think uh, a lot of people in the world kind of are. They've sort of lost their their vision for what can be, uh, especially when you look at what's happened with politics and police and churches and all of these different institutions that we used to look to for leadership have lied and abused and you know made things not a hundred percent of them but 100 percent of them have done it at least enough to make us distrustful of so many things that even then our own imaginations about what's possible are kind of like well since everything else failed that will probably fail. So I might as well just stick to what I've always done because, and to me, like I wrote an article for actors years ago called the one thing riskier than taking a risk. Um, and, you know, the punchline, I'll jump straight to it is not taking a taking risk a is risk. even riskier <laughs> because all of the people who just said, I'm going to work for someone else's company because it's the safe thing to do, lost all of their jobs in the pandemic. <laughs> like, you know, 90% of them lost their work working for other people. They may as well have been working for themselves. Um, so it was, in fact, riskier to not have it. And I I would think that that's kind of like a, a safety net or a trampoline under your job is to have something that you say, worst case scenario, I'll do this. I, I've been doing it a lot recently thinking, what if there's an earthquake here? And because, you know, in California, you know, Vegas could be on the coast if that massive um, uh, <laughs> earthquake ha happens next. Um, but I think about it. I think, do I have batteries? Do I have torches? Do I have, and I'm by no means a prepper, but I'm thinking, well, what would happen? And then, okay, well, let's say we all as a community, we help each other survive and we've got tins of food and the government air drops in. Okay, but what do I do for a living? Is that Does that mean then that there's no work? Do I... I mean, I can occupy myself because I can help people. I can, you know, go around and help bandage people and help dig people out of rubble. But when it comes to what is an economy going to be like, how am I going to make money? How am I going to survive? Then I have to start thinking, hmm, does my current skill set allow me to be one of those people who survives even that, survives a, rep a um, recession, survives a depression? survives a national emergency survives a zombie apocalypse and that's where it comes down to are we you know resilient enough and are we resourceful enough and i truly believe that people like you and me in a zombie apocalypse would be leaders we just would be because we are now yeah 
And I think with that as well, it really just comes back to connections, relationships. And as you said, asking the right question. And I think people, this conversation has done a really nice circle because we're back to sort of what you were mentioning in the star pour and the tree, you know, asking the right question, different branches, different direction. And I, I think that's a really fitting way. Where can people, obviously I'll have links in the show notes for what you're going to mention, but where can people find your TED talk, your website, your book, um, because I, I think everything we've spoken about today and what you've mentioned, it's hit a chord with somebody in some aspect. Um, so yeah. if they're curious enough to want to, you know, dig a little bit deeper, where can we go? Yeah, so they can go to dreamingforaliving.com, dreaming, F-O-R-A, living, dreaming for a living, which was a Steven Spielberg quote. He said, I don't dream at night, I dream at day, I'm dreaming for a living. Um, so Dreaming for a Living is my business. And on that, they, they can see my TEDx talk. Anybody can go on there and book a call with me anytime. They can go in and they can click on the calendar link there and they can book a call, have a chat. I'm not, don't charge anyone to just have a chat. And I say to people, there's a warning, though. Uh, if you do get on a call with me, I'm either going to sell them something, i.e. a better life, or they're going to sell me a better life. I'm not going to waste my time sitting there bitching and moaning and complaining with people. I'm not a therapist. If someone gets on a call with me, they're either going to come off that call with an absolute brain explosion of how much better their life can be, or they have to give me that. One way or the other, a sale is going to be made. Uh, that's the only thing. I'd be very upset if they just jump on to talk about the football because I'm not into football. So <laughs> no, one no, of us has to, to come out with it. <laughs> I love that. So um, everybody will have links in the show notes, episode number 274, where you can reach out to Paul, jump on a call. Um, and, and not only that, maybe just reach out and thank him for his time today because so much we've spoken about, it's depending where you're at at the moment, there was something that you could take away and implement today and, and make a change for the better. So Paul, um, I've really, as I said, really enjoyed your Ted talk when I first watched it. Um, I was fortunate enough to do one a year later than you on the same stage. Um, and it's yeah. something I'm really grateful for, but also for your time today, being on the show and sharing so much with everyone. Um, really appreciate it. So I was, so I was upset you weren't wearing the same TEDx outfit. I thought you were wearing the same outfit with the got little it, shorts. Got it under the, got it under the jumper. <laughs> It's really cold in Melbourne at the moment. Mate. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. No, thank you, for, thank you for your time, Dale. And as I always say at the end of every call I have with anybody, if anyone thinks that someone should meet me or I should meet them, I don't even care if it's for work or what have you. If someone has a deep, deep belief that I should meet someone or they should meet me, they should just take the leap and introduce us because you just never know why someone needs to be connected to someone else. So true. So true. And connections are the key to life. So um, if you want to introduce yourself to Paul or somebody else, as I said, episode 274, check it out. Paul, thanks for your time. Great, great man. Thanks, Dale.